Music has the ability to impact a room you're in. Think of a wedding you've been to and there's some sort of uh, emotional, heartfelt song that plays that signals a response from you that something significant and important is happening with the people in the room, with, with the event itself. Think of a, a hockey game where a goal is scored and, and a song is played that's up beat and victorious to signal that, you know, the celebration should occur, that success has happened, uh, be it in a, in a coffee shop, a restaurant, something vibey and, and ambient to kind of signal a response from you that, you know, you should have comfort and there's this feeling of warmth. Uh, music creates atmosphere and, and atmosphere for us shapes the, the feelings and the expectations we have. And, and similar to how a soundtrack can shape how we feel and, and set the mood for, for a room or a scene, so too a prologue for an ancient writing can set the scene, create the ambiance, the environment, the atmosphere for a book. And that's what we're going to see today in part one of a series in the Gospel of Luke. We're looking at the first four verses, a prologue, which sets the scene and the mood and the tone, which gives us certain expectations for what the writer is, is intending to do and the response he's hoping to generate in us. So let's, let's take a look here in, in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 1 of Luke, which say this, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. The soundtrack that Luke is bringing forth here to, to kind of underlie all of what we're going to see as we explore the life and the teaching of Jesus is simply that the story of Jesus is convincingly true and supremely significant. This is the expectation we should be carrying with us. This is the feeling of all of what is to follow. And for our time today, I want to explore two questions alongside those claims. Number one, is the story of Jesus true? And maybe more importantly, number two, does the story of Jesus matter? So if we start with, with truth, we're starting at a somewhat complex uh, launching point for this. Because in today's world, with, especially with the year we've had, the quest for truth is not a simple one. There's, there's a lot of complexity and, 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 and incendiary uh, nature to it as, as we search it out. Think of the American election recently. You, you literally have a 50-50 split within a whole nation with millions of people as to what's real, what's true, what's fraud, what's fake, what, what actually is reality here. Think of the way we've been battling the coronavirus over the last several months this year and, and the spectrum that's created of, of response and opinions about uh, how serious is this? Uh, what is the appropriate response and how we manage this in our everyday lives? Uh, I recently watched a, a fascinating Netflix documentary called The Social Dilemma. And in it, uh, these, these tech experts, people who created a lot of stuff with social media and, and, and technological tools, they start to raise the alarm uh, for what their own creations have caused in our society. One of them said this, that algorithms and manipulative politicians are getting so good at creating fake news that we absorb it as if it were reality. And it's confusing us into believing those lies. It's as though we have less and less control over who we are and what, really, what we really believe. 
Tristan Harris, who's the main voice in this documentary, says something really insightful and profound, particularly about the world of, of technology and how it's affecting our society. But I think it says something so much more just in, in principle about how we approach all of life with the, with the worldview that we might have. He says that if we don't agree on what is true or that there is such a thing as truth, in his words, we're toast. This is the problem beneath other problems, because if we can't agree on what's true, then we can't navigate out of any of our problems. The quest for truth is really important. It may not be simple, but it must be pursued. And this is why I'm so grateful for somebody like Luke writing this down, because look at what he does. Uh, he, he is claiming that his sources are trustworthy and that his methods are thorough. So take a look at these sources. Verse 2, he says that these people, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, have delivered them to us. So we've got a group of people, not just an individual, not just a couple of outlying unique voices saying something that seems like it fits together. No, a group of people, people who actually saw Jesus, actually knew Jesus, actually lived with Jesus, actually verbally heard him speak and teach, actually physically saw him do things. And not only were they following him, they then began to be the teachers in the early church. The, the first followers of him are ones that Jesus... Um, was with and that Luke is tracing this back to his sources he's claiming are trustworthy. Uh, let me let me give you an analogy of this, and it's not a story I ever thought I'd use ever, uh, but a couple years ago I was at a middle school youth retreat and we're in this cabin, a group of us guys uh, with, with middle school boys and leaders, and uh, it was middle of the night, about 3 a.m., and I'm jolted awake, like shocked awake, because I was having a really good sleep, and all of a sudden, a crash of our door uh, opening up and pounding feet coming in, where all of a sudden, I'm feeling something physically slapping me in the face. I'm like, what is going on here? And there's these pillows with the uh, that are just coming and just pummeling all of us in our bunks in this shocking moment where we're trying to figure out what is happening. And and these guys that, that had come in from another cabin, they're all dark in the middle of a dark room wearing masks, not like coronavirus masks, like full on like balaclavas. And they're in there. We can't tell what's going on uh, in, in the heat of the moment. And maybe also just in the apathy of me being tired, I just kind of, you know, put my arms above my head and just sort of took it on the chin literally took it on the chin and you know all the while I'm hearing other guys in the cabin like like Jesse they're hitting me and I'm just like sorry boys handle it like a man you know whatever uh, but but the thing was is that all of them fled like really fast they, they weren't around to to deal uh, with the effects of what they caused they they didn't stick around for us to interact with them afterwards um, unlike the gospel writers the gospel writers and, and the eyewitnesses that they're, that they're tracing their material from, they didn't just start something and then withdraw from view. There wasn't all this time for, for myth and legend to develop. We can trace all of this back and we have traced it back with the manuscript evidence and, and all of the things tracing to these eyewitnesses who are really there and then stuck around to deal with what was being taught, to fact check that the, that the story that was going out was a credible story. And Luke is saying, look, I have carefully pieced this together, going back to trustworthy sources. Not only that, though, he's saying his methods are thorough. As, as he writes this, look at, look at verse 3. 
It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So he's saying, hey, I've, I've, I've done some research here. I've put this together carefully, purposefully, accurately. And, and you know, I, I, having traced it from the beginning, you know, he's got a lot of fresh material that's unique to him. About about 30% of Luke, we'll see, uh, isn't found anywhere else. So he's got something so unique he's giving us. And why does he have trustworthy sources? Why does he have thorough methods? It's because, as verse 4 would say, so that you, you Theophilus, you as an audience, you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Think of the word certainty, though. I find it interesting that the Bible has such words because growing up, sometimes I had this idea that belief in Jesus or God or, or being a church person was about wishful thinking and that, you know, I had to kind of check my mind at the door and didn't, didn't have to consider like, actual reason. Uh, it was like a, as if, you know, loving God required actually leaving reason and, and it, this was all just some sort of, you know, emotional thing and that I just had to kind of, you know, put blind trust into all of this. But as we look at the New Testament, and as we look even at this passage, we're seeing words like certainty and, and you know, later persuaded, convinced, this, this, this strong language that, that ought to tell us, you know, there are reasons that satisfied people to actually put the weight of their life on this, that they were betting their lives on something that actually they had good reason to do so. And Luke is writing this for us in a way with trustworthy sources and thorough methods to tell us, hey, there's actually objective fact here that you can bet your life on. What are you holding on to today? Are you holding on to just some sort of emotional feeling or is there more to it than that when it comes to your faith, to your worldview? Um, in, her, in her book, Nancy Piercy, uh, she wrote a book called Total Truth, and she talks about how Christianity and, and religion in general, the, the claims of it, they're sometimes placed into, into uh, a different category than they ought to be placed in. We place faith and we place theology and we place Christianity and the gospel in the category of values, where it's like, these are just values, they're, they're private, personal preferences. But that's not what Christianity has ever claimed. That's not what Luke is claiming as he writes this prologue to, to propel us into the rest of this book. He's saying, these aren't just mere values. These are a different category. This is a category of facts. Not just private, personal preferences. These are publicly verifiable truths. And it's because these things are true, that not only you know, should, we, should we take them seriously, they should actually impact our day-to-day -day life. They really matter. Luke is telling us these things really happened and they really should make a difference in your life. The story of Jesus is convincingly true and it's supremely important. Why would we need to be reminded of this? Why would Theophilus need to be reminded of this? Why us today with, with all of what's going on in, in, in your life and in my life? Why, why do we need this prologue? Why do we need an approach that sets the scene, that sets the tone for the rest of this letter in this way? I think it's because all of us at some point are going to face the press of our culture and the pressure of our circumstances. Think just of Theophilus alone. Probably a specific individual Luke had in mind with that name could also be representative of, of a type of people who are seeking to honor God and, and love God. Luke is writing at, at a time, probably in the 60s AD, so way back in the first century, um, in, a, in, a, in a context that was hostile 
to Christianity. Christianity comes out of a place, it's birthed out of this city in the Middle East called Jerusalem where, where there's the Jewish faith that's the dominant prevailing worldview in that spot. But it's also headed towards a significant moment in its history in 70 AD where the Roman Empire, the dominant power of the time, would actually ransack it and, and, and capture it and Jerusalem would fall and, and experience a destruction that it had never seen like that before. And as that happens, you could think if, if you're somebody like Theophilus, who wasn't necessarily raised in the Jewish faith, a Gentile believer, but, but had you know, put your trust in this Jesus, you might have certain questions. Is God really for me? Is he really inviting me from a different region of the world with a different background? Is he inviting all types of people to a relationship with him? And if he is, is this message going to last? Because the, the circumstances and the situation, it's heading towards this, this ruined destruction in a hostile environment. How is Christianity, how is the gospel going to survive? How are we going to face the press of culture and the, and the pressure of circumstances like this? And that's not just him back then. I think this is us today. We need to be reminded that we have something reliable to bank our lives on because of what we might be going through even right now, today. At some point, you know, we, we are going to find ourselves asking questions about our faith. Like, is, is knowing and following Jesus, is it really worth it? Is the time I spend praying really worth it? Especially when I don't see answers to prayer. Is the time I spend, uh, you know, and the effort I spend serving really worth it? If I don't see it making a difference in people's lives right away, or maybe ever, is the money that I give towards the work of God really worth it when I'm not sure of the impact it's making? Is knowing and following Jesus a worthwhile pursuit when it seems like the world around us and the culture around us is heading a completely different direction at a pace that, that is difficult for us to manage? And I think, I think for me, one of the, one of the most difficult things with this, with this question, you know, not only is Christianity true, but does it really matter? is when I see people who I've admired who follow Jesus, people who have built into my life, mentors, you know, significant spiritual influences, when I see them drift or walk away from their faith entirely, that, that hits, that hits hard because it's like, what, how, how, what, what happened to them? If they have now said this isn't worth it, why, what am I holding on to? And not just people, you know, we, we see pastors and Christian leaders and in media and, and people we don't personally know fall away or, or walk away from their, from their faith. But what about when it's a friend? What about when it's somebody, you know, you've, you've, you've been in a worship service with who's, who's poured out their life and, and had an encounter with God, then later goes back on that. What about the people you've been around a campfire with and, and had significant conversation about the things of God, the life of God, who then completely say later, I, I don't believe that anymore. I'm, I, I, can't, I can't keep following Jesus and, and I don't anymore. When you're under stress, when you're under anxiety, when you have fears and uncertainties about life and you're questioning yourself and then you see others around you doing the same, that can be a weight to carry and a lot to handle. Even if we mentally agree, yes, I believe that there is a God, I'm just not sure if that matters right now. The claim that Luke is making though is that this is true, this really matters and you can bet your life on this. What are you holding on to today? In the midst of, of your circumstances, in the midst of the culture that we live in, what are you holding on to 
right now? Is it the story of Jesus or is it something else? I think, and, and just as, as we kind of come to the end of our time here, I think Luke is inviting us into three possibilities, three categories of response to this. To ask our questions, to celebrate the facts, and to embrace an invitation from God himself. First of all, to, to, to ask our questions, you know, as, as we go through reading the, the Gospel of Luke, I would encourage you to, to read this along with us. We're starting on November the 16th, a reading plan that's going to take us a chapter a day, every weekday, through Luke's Gospel. I would encourage you to follow along with us and to, to take notes, to read it carefully, and to write down your questions. Let me give you permission right now. You are allowed to have questions. You are allowed to have things be confusing. You're allowed to have doubts. Luke's invitation to us as he writes this is to, you know, test the resiliency of, of my account. Test if it's reliable. Throw your questions at this. We're not afraid of those things. We say as a church that life together is better than life alone. As you have questions, find a safe place to ask those questions. Be it in a community group, be it with a, with a mentor, be it with a friend, be it with somebody. Don't let a stack of, of unresolved doubts and, and unasked questions be the reason you drift from your faith today. There are things that you might be wondering about that you've never asked, or you have asked and it hasn't been satisfying, or it's been a cliche answer, or you've just been given a stereotype or something that hasn't been helpful. Ask again. You're allowed to have and allowed to ask your questions. That might be where you are today. But secondly today, maybe the thing for you would be to celebrate the facts, the facts of what this story is about. Now, maybe you're, maybe you're really excited about what, the way your life is right now. Maybe you're thrilled about the idea of Jesus and following him and you're thriving in that spot. Or maybe you've got real fears, real doubts, real brokenness, real burdens that you are carrying. Either end of that spectrum, you have facts that you can celebrate and take rest in. That the story of Jesus is sturdy enough to, to handle this, that, that as true as your story might be right now with all of what's going on, there is a bigger story, Luke would remind us. And it's a story that can intersect your story. As, as we, as we you know, embrace the story and as we, as we live it out, and we're going to discover things along the way about who Jesus is. We're going to see his activity at work. And, and as that happens, you know, we're, we're, as, as we see in Acts, as the disciples and some of the early followers would say, you know, we can't but help speak what we have seen and heard. Look for opportunities to share this. You know, if, if the ambiance of Luke's gospel is that the story of Jesus is convincingly true and supremely important, is that what people see in our lives? Is that the soundtrack that's playing over and over in your life? You know, Jesus is alive. Jesus is here. This story is true. This story matters. Is that what's that's underlying and setting the, the tone and the quality of every room that you're in? And as that happens, you know, as, as, we, as we experience life in that way, it wouldn't it be amazing if people started to ask us questions? You know, how, how is it that you have confidence amidst uncertainty? How is it that you can go into a hospital room and wait a diagnosis with peace and confidence? Like one of our seniors recently who was in, who was in a hospital room and ended up chatting with one of the healthcare workers there and led this person to a place of deciding to put their trust in Jesus, even in that space. How does that happen? Because there's a bigger story and the soundtrack of our lives can be governed and shaped and the atmosphere of it can be, wow, yes, regardless of what else is going on, the story of Jesus is true 
and it matters. So let me ask you, do you arrange your life in a way to be reminded of what is true? Like how many reminders do you have in your routine of what Jesus has said and what Jesus has done? Maybe we need to, you know, get some sticky notes with scripture and put them in places where we regularly see them. Maybe we need worship playlists in our car. Maybe we need to join a community group. Maybe we need to, you know, get involved in prayer opportunities on on Zoom with the church. Maybe we need to just do something so that we don't forget what we really have received because there is some confidence that comes when we do that. Like read Deuteronomy 8 sometime. You have, these, you have these exhortations, you know, don't forget the Lord, don't forget the Lord, don't forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. Those people had seen God himself split open the Red Sea to give them dry land to walk through as an act of rescue and redemption for them. And then he's telling them, don't forget me. How is it possible that we would forget? But we do. So is your life arranged in a way where you've got regular reminders of what is true, of the God that you have received, that that there's things he said, that there's things that he has done because we're prone to forget and we need to arrange our lives in a way that reminds us, wow, this story is convincingly true and really matters. But thirdly, maybe maybe you're in a place today where it's like, yeah, you know, I I hear things about certainty for belief. I hear things about reasons to believe, but maybe you're not looking for logic today. Maybe, maybe for you, it's not an intellectual barrier that's, that's preventing you from following Jesus today. Maybe it's an emotional barrier. Maybe it's not so much something rational or, or logical. Maybe it's something experiential from your life. Some trauma, some burden, some relational brokenness, something, maybe some trust issues with the church itself even. And those are the barriers for you. So be it an intellectual space, be it an experiential space, whatever you're coming at the story of Jesus with, maybe it's a combo of both. You need to know that both needs will be met as you embrace the invitation to know God through this story, through this good news. Look, the the, the fundamental underpinning of, of all the Christian mission and proclamation is that there is a human witness to a saving act of God in history. Look at how Luke writes it in verse one. You know, I've undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that what? Have been accomplished among us. The gospel is not about some sort of myth or, or religious system or, or, or moral guideline. No, it's a story. It's about a historical fact that Jesus has come and done something to bring us into right relationship with him. We would see later on in Luke's gospel in in chapter 24 that Jesus would say it was written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And he tells his followers there, you are witnesses of these things. Another place that testifies to this, John chapter 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. What we're going to find as we explore Luke's gospel is a a confidence for, for belief that Jesus really has come to rescue us. That there was something that separated us from God, our sin. And the only one who could do something about it was someone who wasn't tainted by it himself. 
Jesus comes to live as a man, a perfect life that you and I could never live. And more than that, to die a death in our place, to pay the penalty that we deserved so that we by faith could be forgiven, that we by faith could be have our wrong exchanged for his right. As the story would tell us that he doesn't stay dead, but rises from the dead, destroying death, destroying the power it has over us to give us a hope and a future and also a power for the present. Whatever your starting point today, with whatever amount of doubt you have, you don't need to be question-free, doubt-free, or have a perfect life all in order. You just need to come to Jesus to embrace the invitation that this story really happened, it really matters, and it really matters for you. You can know God through this. And if you're in a place today where you want to start a relationship, maybe not with, with everything figured out, but you just want to begin today to receive that invitation, I want to invite you to do that. You can do it right now. We can pray a prayer together to begin as, with a genuine heart posture of talking to God and asking Him to become our rescuer and our ruler from this day forward. If you want to do that today, Would you pray along with me, eyes open, eyes closed, regardless of what's going on in your life, would you pray this with me to begin today, to receive new life and hope and power for today, resting on the confidence that this story is convincingly true and of supreme significance. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I want to know you personally. I admit that I have sinned against God and that I'm separated from you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins in order to bring me back to God. I put my trust in you and ask you to be my Savior and Lord. Thank you for giving me eternal life and making me a part of the family of God. Take control of my life today. Fill me with your spirit and make me the person you created me to be. Amen. Hey, look, if you prayed that prayer for the first time today, you are what we would call a Christian. You have a new identity. You have a new life. And even if you don't feel like it right away, The fact is that you have been changed and transformed and Jesus has come into your life today. The Bible tells us that whoever confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead will be saved. That anyone who puts their trust in him will never be put to shame. Regardless of where you're at on this this journey of life with whatever story you have, we want to come alongside you to, to equip you, to come with you wherever you might find yourself so that you know, in community, we can do this together and become increasingly convinced of the certainty of the things that we've received and been taught. Someone who's done a lot of work in eyewitness testimony is Richard Bauckham, who writes that they, the Gospels, embody the testimony of the eyewitnesses. Not, of course, without editing and interpretation, but in a way that is substantially faithful to how the eyewitnesses themselves told it. Since the evangelists were in more or less direct contact with eyewitnesses, not removed from them by a long process of anonymous transmission of 
the traditions. This is why we see Lucas saying, I, I went back to the beginning. I followed this for some time. And this is why we're going to see right away, we're going to get to John the Baptist, the forerunner for Jesus. And everything's going to move forward from there in the life and teaching of Jesus in a trustworthy way. But not only is Luke saying, look, my sources are trustworthy. He's saying, my methods are thorough. Look at how he says it in verse 3. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Okay. Awesome. 